spiritual mom to City Church. This is her fourth time here, three years in a row now, and we just love it when you come. And so when Pastor Jenny comes, we just want to give her a hero's welcome. I want everyone to stand, and I want you to welcome Pastor Jenny Smith to the City Church platform. Come on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. I am absolutely delighted to be here with you this morning. There's no place that I'd rather be, and that's the truth. And I'm so excited to see what God is doing in your midst. And 1,640-some people last Sunday, that's that's so exciting. And um, you need to have um, a resurrection life to do that in this facility, to bring that many people in and out in, in, in some kind of, you know, order, um, the parking lot, all those issues that go on with wonderful issues of church growth. I just want to commend those who made it happen. You are, you are true heroes of faith. And, um, you know, any, any that were saved and lives were changed go on your account. Thank you for investing your time and energy. Thank you for those who work with the children and those who are in the parking lot and those who, who greeted visitors and worked at hospitality and information counter. All of those um, areas are so important, and I just want to commend you for your investment of time and energy. I love this church. I'm so excited for you. Again, it's not just about coming to the beautiful weather, and yet that is a little bit tempting, but um, just to come and, and hang out with you and see all, all that God is doing and catch up with the, all the lives of those I love so much and just seeing what God is doing in your in your midst. I want to thank you too for your support um, of Pastor Laura and Eugene in this season. None of us expected another bout with cancer, but um, you know, none of us would even dream that that could happen. Nonetheless, how many know the enemy is alive and well and active? And you've got to know that that God did not do this. And this is not a result of, you know, some kind of, you know, failure in, in anybody's life. This is really an attack of enemy. And the enemy attacks most right before God is getting ready to do something big because he tries to distract us. He tries to take us out before we can receive what God is going to do. So this is a good indication that something wonderful is about to take place, something monumental in this house. And so don't get discouraged, get encouraged, but don't get mad at God, get mad at the enemy. Got that? That's really important. You recognize that God is your savior, your healer, your redeemer, the one that you call out on in time of need. And And the enemy wants you to do just the opposite. He wants you to get mad at God and leave God, leave the church, and cut yourself off from your life source. No, we've got to stay connected to the life source, but at the same time just be willing to continue to pray and stand in faith. Now, Laura's healing is not dependent upon your prayers. You understand that. It's not as if, oh, if you don't pray, she's not going to get healed. No, according to Scripture, she is healed. She is the healed one. But we're disagreeing with that, right? And contending and believing for strength and so forth through this whole process. But God is going to be victorious through this process. His, His will is going to be accomplished. She is going to be healed. And I really do believe, and I'm going to say this again in the next service, I do believe this is the last bout. This is the last battle with cancer for Laura's life. I do believe that. And I believe her testimony is going to be significant in people's lives. She's an amazing person. There's no one like her. I, I, I honestly marvel at the woman. She, you have a great, great pastor's wife and pastor in her own right. 
and um, the way that she lives her life is just commendable. I've never, I've never, I've known her a long time, as already been stated, and it's been a lot longer than 40 years, and watched her grow up as a as a young person, etc. She's just never had a bad attitude. She's never, she never gets down. She never gets, you know, mad at God where most people would. She just continues to believe. What a legacy for you and for this house that she's, you know, she's standing in faith and you can stand with her. And I want to thank you for serving the family during this time, going out of your way to help out with the details because you know Laura's a detail kind of gal. And you take pressure off her when you help with the details. So she doesn't have to worry about it. And um, I believe as a result, this house, this house is going to be better. Amen? I do believe that. Well, um, Pastor Eugene mentioned that I was on the road with my son. He's on a book tour. Uh, Jesus is. Maybe some of you have read that book. And um, he's doing across the country book tour in a, you know, a big bus with a team, worship team, and all of the technical guys to do this services. Um, and the way that you do this, you know, it sounds kind of romantic when you think of it in terms of, you know, how exciting, you know, going across the U.S. in a bus full of predominantly guys. It's not romantic. And, um, you know, you, what happens is you drive all night and you get there early in the morning and you set up all day and then you do the service and then you unload real fast, put it all back in the semi, you get back on the bus and you sleep again in a little tiny bunk amongst, you know, it's like a homeless shelter, really. And um, the smells are similar to that, too, um, on, with a bunch of guys you know, on the bus. And uh, so they asked me to come along, not that I was contributing in any manner to the service, but um, my daughter-in-law had to leave the tour for a few days to go speak somewhere where she was already obligated. And so she asked me to come take care of the kids, which I love. My grandkids are the best ever. And so, yes, certainly I want to go and um, cheer on my son and take care of my grandkids. And so that was my role on the trip. And so I picked up tour in Phoenix. And then from Phoenix, we went to El Paso. And from El Paso, we did we went to Houston. Now that's a long drive. That's a 12 to 14 hour drive, depending on how many times you stop. And um, so that was a marathon. I told my daughter-in-law that was the longest trek that we took in the night through the rest of the you know morning. I said, I think you planned this intentionally. You put me on the long marathon with the three kids and all the guys on the bus. And um, she says she didn't, but I don't believe that. I believe it was all strategic. But nonetheless, and then I hopped off the bus literally in Houston. I said, take me to the airport fast. <laughs> so I wouldn't miss my flight to get here to be with you because, honestly, I couldn't wait. And also, I enjoyed coming and sleeping in a real bed. Do you know how small those bunks are? They're like about, I would say, half, about two, is that three and a half feet wide? And my granddaughter got in bed with me every night. So it was me and her. And she's a little thing, but she still takes up a lot of space. You know, so it was not much sleep. So I'm feeling a little bit better after a couple couple cups of coffee and a few hours sleep. So hopefully the sermon will make sense to you. <laughs> if it doesn't, just smile and say, good job. And we'll all go home happy. <laughs> um, but I want to talk to you about... What happens when the wine runs out? 
some of you are going, oh, I came to the right surface. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, turn with me, would you, to John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. I'm going to read to you from the Holman translation. If you have another, that's not a problem. I think it's on the, on the screen here for us to follow along. John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Now, let me stop for a minute because I must make the emphasis that um, this is my favorite part of the verse. Jesus' mother was there. And how many mothers said amen to that? No, I need a little more rousing enthusiasm. Thank you. I tell my son often, my son is uh, now pastoring our church that my husband and I started after, as I say that my husband passed away three years ago. And, um, and so he took the church and he's done a fair job at things. And, uh, you know, he's done exceptionally well. We're very proud of him. But um, I remind him, Jesus' mother was there. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you. Wouldn't you agree, moms? That we need to be there more often. Hello, you need us. And uh, not just to watch the kids, but um, we need to be there to be a part. Anyway, that was just bonus material. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to this wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. <laughs> Jesus' response, what has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Can I just add a little another parenthetical comment? Whether or not you say, yes, I'm going to. Um, when Jesus was saying woman to his mother, he was not being disrespectful or kind of coy or cool. He was actually being respectful. If you look, at the, if you look this word up in the Greek, you'll find it means ma'am. Jesus was a good old southern boy. I mean, the wonderful thing about the South is you do teach your children how to respect their elders. You do a very good job at that. We could learn some things in the Northwest. And, you know, your children are very respectful in how they, how they speak to adults. They say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. And, you know, that's commendable. Well, Jesus was being a good Southern boy here and talking to his mother, and he was not being rude. And so this is not an excuse to be rude to your mother and call her woman. No good southern boy would ever call his mother woman. Never. They wouldn't live through it. And um, <laughs> I know how it operates. All right. <laughs> and then Jesus asks, my hour has not yet come. Do, and then I like Judith, Jesus' mother. She just completely ignores what he says. And then says, turns to the servant and says, whatever he says, whatever he tells you, do it. Now, six stone water pots have been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus told them, told the servants, fill them with water. So they filled them to the brim. I like the enthusiasm. And then he said, now draw some out and take it to the chief servant. Interestingly enough, the chief servant is the host of the wedding. It would be the wedding coordinator, the person in charge. And they did as Jesus asked. And when the chief servant had tasted the, the water after it had become wine... He did not know where it came from, though those servants who had drawn out the water, they knew. They were, these were some smart servants. And he called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first, and then after the people have drunk freely, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus performed this first sign in Cana of Galilee. He displayed his glory and his disciples. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We pray that it will be a word that gets past the intellect and the emotions and speaks right to the spirit of the individual. Well, we're, just, we're not after more information. We're, we want to know you. We want to understand who you are. 
we want a, a, an intimate relationship with you. So in these moments, I pray you speak to our spirit, energize our faith, cause us, Father, to be more like you in this process. I thank you for each one of the individual members here in the City Church of Orlando. I thank you for their lives, their love for you, their love for this house, and their love for Laura and Eugene. I pray that as they go through this next season, that you will give them opportunity to stand in prayer, to believe for, to help, to assist Pastor Lauren and Eugene in a significant way. Just lift her and carry her through this season. And as a result, we're all going to come through. We're going to come through shining like gold, more than conquerors, overcomers. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone say amen. Now, all of us can relate to situations and circumstances in which, you know, right in the midst of celebration, we will have lack. All of a sudden, you know, unsuspecting to us, come up short. Ever been in that kind of situation? Well, I can remember, somebody raise their hand. (laughs) I can remember in the history of our church early on, probably back about 15 years ago or so, we're in the process of building the church, and we were in a strip mall. That's where we were presiding as a church, and we, we had leased a particular building. You know what a strip mall is, don't you? It's not a place where people take off their clothes. It's actually a strip of stores. Okay, I just want to make that clear so you understand where we were located. And in the process of growth and accumulating more, more square footage and so forth, um, we were thinking that we were going to buy this property. We, we had it in our mind. We were going to make an offer. We actually went ahead and made an offer, $10 million. And now, actually, the property's not worth that much now, thank God. Um, they didn't re- uh, accept our offer. But we, we felt this was God for us. There was a Kmart on one end of the property, and then this strip of stores on this on the side south end of the property and so we we walked around that property we thought it was god we poured oil we poured more wesson oil on that property that is one holy property at least it's oily if nothing else and uh, believing that this was god and then right in the midst of our you know celebration of our fifth anniversary we're so excited about the good things god was doing the church was growing people were being saved this is why we came to seattle and then right in the midst of that celebration, we got notification from our landlord that he not only wasn't going to sell us the property, he actually leased the property that we'd improved at our own expense to someone else right out from underneath of us. Didn't even give us a chance to compete. On. He just went ahead and leased it. My husband nicknamed him Pharaoh. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> we weren't saying let my people go. We were saying something else. But um, it didn't make any difference. We were still the first church of the homeless. Here we were. We were bumping up against a thousand people, and we had no place to go. It's easy to re- relocate a couple hundred people, but when you start bumping up against that larger number, it becomes a little challenging. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to plant this church? You know, Lord, why did you bring us here? And then we have no place to go. And one of our elders, who is actually, you know, <laughs> a little older and a little wiser, said, Pastor, what about that church in Kirkland? That building, they've been trying to sell it for eight years. Well, it was tied up, it, and it was actually in escrow. It had gone that far. But um, my husband said, okay, I'll call, just to appease the elder, you know, so he quit asking him questions like that. Because, you know, we still wanted this property. We still were believing that God was going to turn it around. The deal was going to fall through, but... It didn't look promising, and the time was getting closer for us to move out. So my husband called the pastor, and he goes, 
Wow, it's interesting that you called today. This deal just, just fell out of escrow. The building's back up for sale. And um, long story short, they ended up selling us the building, which is just a phenomenal miracle if I had time to go through all the details of how that happened, which was, I mean, this was an evangelical church. We're more charismatic. You know, it really wouldn't be, you know, they wouldn't normally be endeared to a church like ours. But early on in, in, the, in our years, about, oh, say about second or so year that we were, um, we were meeting as a church, and my husband decided to invite all the fathers of the city on simultaneous Wednesday nights to speak to our congregation, no matter what their flavor was, you know, as far as they were Christians, but as far as whether they were um, charismatic or non-charismatic. And he invited them to come, and this, this pastor, who was of the Baptist persuasion, came and spoke to our church, and my husband took up an offering for him, and $10,000 came in. Well, you got to know when early on in a church when you're only, like, less than... 500 people, and $10,000 comes in, you just don't wink at that and say, let's give it to him. But my husband, you know, is a man of integrity. Of course, he gave it to him, gave him all and more, and said, this is where you're building from. Well, that pastor went back to his 6,000-member church and raised that check up in front of, he had six services, and raised that check up in front of the whole congregation, all six services, and said, the little church down the road gave us $10,000. No church has ever given us anything, especially a little church. They always ask us for money, but they don't give us anything, and, you know, we just gave it. Never dreaming that three years later we'd be buying their building. And so the elders sat in front of us weeping, and we thought, oh, great. This is frightening. They're weeping. They're going to tell us no. And instead they said, we can't think of any other church we'd rather sell this to. And we're willing to work with us in the whole process of buying the building. I'm telling you that was the favor of God. God set us up for success. He knew ahead of time where he was taking us. He had to close one door in order, in order to open another. And so what we thought as a loss, as we thought as, you know, a kind of a damper on the celebration was just God. It was God working on our behalf. Can I tell you this today? He's still in the business of changing water into wine. That hasn't changed. He turned our water. See, we were willing to accept water. And oftentimes we do this, especially people of faith. We do this. We'll drink water and call it wine, and it's not wine. It's just water. And we'll pretend like it's wine. Ever had a tea party with your children? You know, and you're drinking water, and everybody is drinking water, but pretending you're drinking tea. Some of you cannot relate to this. You're not grandparents yet. Okay, this will happen in your future, and you're all pretend that it's tea, but in reality, it's just water. And so if it spills, it doesn't make a mess. We just drink it. We act like it's like it's tea when it's not. Well, oftentimes we do this spiritually with God. We'll say, okay, let's call this water wine. But it's still water. It tastes like water. It looks like water. It smells like water. It's not wine. Jesus has to take the water and turn it to wine. Yes, it's a matter of faith on our part, but we're not pretending it's wine when it's not wine. It's either God or it's not. But your God, I'm telling you the truth this morning, he is in the business of changing your water to wine. But it's not on your schedule, it's on his schedule. So Jesus shows up at this wedding feast. Now, you've got to understand, this is his first miracle. Anytime you have 
the, any kind of first in the scripture, it becomes significant and important. It's interesting that Judas, Jesus' first miracle is done in relative obscurity. It's not done in Jerusalem. It's not done before masses of people. It's not done with unbelievers present. You understand in terms of those who are not knowledgeable of the miracle taking place. But the miracle, his first miracle was for who? His disciples. Did you catch that? His first miracle was for disciples. What are you this morning? As believers here this morning, you're a disciple. This miracle's for you. He didn't change the water into wine for the unbeliever. Actually, there's no record that the guests even knew where the wine came from. And no one apparently told them that, the, that Jesus turned the water to wine. So it was primarily for the disciples because Jesus' mother already had it going. She's the one that was involved in the whole process. By the way, moms for you. <laughs> so here this, this, this miracle is taking place in Cana Galilee. Again, obscure little town, not in Jerusalem, not before the masses, before the disciples, for you, for me. This miracle is for you and me this morning, so you can be encouraged by it. Jesus wants to turn your water into wine. So here he is at a wedding feast. Interestingly enough, the wedding feast is also indicative of what? Of Christ and his church. Guess who the bridegroom is? Jesus. This is not a trick question. And guess who the bride is? The church. And guess what? We're going to have a great marriage supper of the Lamb someday. There is a great wedding feast that's going to take place. And it's going to be between the bridegroom and the bride. This is important that we understand the significance of this miracle. Taking place at a wedding was not by accident. This is all by divine appointment. And then Jesus gets there. And when he gets to the wedding with his, about five of his disciples at that point, they come to the wedding. They get there. And apparently Jesus' mother must be related somehow to the, to the, um, to the members of the bridal party because she somehow has inside information that we're running low on wine. Now, you've got to know that in this culture, this is, listen, scandalous. This is bad. Now, in our culture, we run out of something at a wedding. We just smile and say, so, you, you missed it. should have come earlier. You know, you, we don't get really, you know, agitated about, you know, running out. It's like, wow, glad you had a good time. That's all there is. Time to go home. But you were talking about a wedding feast that wouldn't just be um, a wedding feast that would last for, you know, a few hours like our traditional wedding, wedding receptions, but this would be a long, actually called festival of sorts. And it was the responsibility of the bridegroom, not the bride and her parents. This is also very encouraging. But it's the responsibility of the bridegroom to provide for the wedding. It was his responsibility to make sure there was enough provision to last the whole festival. And if it, it was a great scandal for the bridegroom if the provision was lacking or not enough. It reflected on his ability to provide for his wife. And it was very embarrassing before his in-laws that he would not have enough. And so Jesus' mother understood this. And prophetically, I think, she approached Jesus, understanding who is the ultimate bridegroom and who is ultimately responsible for the provision for our lives. Jesus! Isn't this exciting? It's Jesus that's responsible. And so she goes to him and she speaks to him and she says, we're out of wine. We're running short on provision. And, you know, Jesus then responds to her, you know, what does this have to do with me? And he wasn't being, again, rude to his mother. He was, again, I think he was, he was teaching his disciples. They were in the vicinity of what was going on. And he was making a comment that was going to instruct them in the process of what he was about to do. 
And then in that moment, Jesus', Jesus mother, I love this part. This is my second favorite part after the fact that she was there. She turns to the servants and she says, whatever he says, do it. Some of you came for a prophetic word this morning. You came wondering what God was wanted to do in your life or how he wanted you to respond. And here's your answer. Whatever he says, do it. Listen to Jesus' mother. Whatever he says, do it. That's your key. That's your answer. I know we make this really complicated, like 33 steps to success. I'm just giving you one. Whatever he says, do it. That's your answer. That's what you've been looking for. It's his, it's his responsibility to provide. It's his responsibility to turn the water to wine, not yours. It's not a matter of you praying more and working more and being more diligent and having more faith. It's just do what he says. Have the faith to do what he says. Don't add to or subtract from. Just do what he says. So what does he say? He turns to the servants, and apparently only the servants were in on, other than the disciples, the miracle that Jesus was about to do. And what does he say? Take those ordinary water pots that were, that were in the process of purification and fill them, to, fill them with water. And I love the enthusiasm of the disciples because they not only fill them, but they fill them to the brim. They get really excited. And then he says, now take out of the water pots. Take from the water pots <laughs> and, and then go and, and give it to the steward of the of the wedding feast. Now, you've got to understand, we already mentioned the steward is probably has the most refined palate of all the wedding guests and all those who are present. This is the steward's responsibility. He's in charge of, he's chief servant over, or he would be the host of the wedding. So it would be his responsibility to make sure that, you know, the proper things were laid out and, and he would understand the quality of the wine. And so the wine is taken to him. Now, you've got to understand that you know, filling the water pots probably was exciting for the servants. There was probably an excitement, anticipation. What is he going to do? Because they know he, that they're out of wine. Is he going to try to pass off water like wine? You know, and because people are so inebriated, they won't know the difference. You know, so they're kind of questioning, but nonetheless responding. And then, you know, the, the fact that they're to draw out, you know, that, again, wasn't so intimidating to draw the water out. Okay, hey, what are we going to do with it now, Jesus? But now he says, not only draw it out, but now take it. Don't just take it. To any, you know, drunken sailor at the at the at the wedding feast, but take it to the chief servant. Take it to the most refined palate. Take it to the biggest influencer in the wedding, and let him have a drink. I think they did it with a bit of fear and trembling, but they did it. They didn't hold back, and at the point. I believe that his lips came to that cup. The chief servant not only said, was it wine? But he goes on to brag. It was fine wine. The best wine. See, when you give people a drink of what Jesus is doing in your life, you don't have to say anything else. They'll testify for you. They show the good news for you. I went to that city church, Orlando. My life was changed. God did such wondrous things. I didn't expect it. I just took a little drink. It was so amazing. It was more than I could ever imagine. God changed my life. 
You don't have to do anything else. Just draw out and take it and give it away. And they will testify of his goodness. And they will declare it is the best wine I've ever drunk. And you've got to understand wine is a type of joy in scripture. Joy is contagious. And I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is conditioned on circumstances. But it's, it's joy that comes from the inside out. It's an appreciation for all God has done. It's an attitude of faith that he is good. And he's going to continue to be good to me. I believe God has great things in store for this house. Great things in store. It's a great future for you. This is just the beginning of all that he has planned and purposed for you. And we don't have to work harder. And we don't even necessarily have to work smarter. Because it's not about us. It's about him. We don't have to provide for the wedding feast. He's our profession. He's our answer. He's our hope. He's our means of seeing water turn to wine. We don't have to pretend that water is wine because we're going to have true wine. You know, a little boy in our church was out to breakfast with his, um, with his dad one morning, and the, the server came and said, what would you like for a beverage? And the dad ordered you know, something and ordered water for the little guy. And as, as the server walked away, the little boy yelled out, hey, just a minute, just a minute. Water's not going to work for me. You know, some of us need to start making that statement. Just a minute, Jesus. Water's not going to work for me. It doesn't have to. Don't settle for water when your portion is wine. Joy that comes from acknowledging he's the means. He's our resource. My husband used to say, in regard to the city church, we don't buy a building with money. We buy a building with faith. Amen? Faith in him. He's our provision. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We pray that you will speak to hearts. Those that have been settling for second best, those that have been calling water wine when it's not wine, Lord, I pray that you would reassure them. They don't have to work harder. They don't have to make anything happen. Just do what you say. Do what you say. And you will do the miracle. You will bring about the transformation. You will make a way for the provision. You will turn our water to wine. We're going to know joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's not going to be one-dimensional. It's not going to be just one event. But we're going to live in that state of you, Lord Jesus, being our answer, our hope our provision, our life source. Every day, turning our water to wine. Every day, making provision. Every day, being our source. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name.